Amen. Well, today we return to uncharted territory, right? And if you have your scriptures available, um, you can uh, join me in John chapter 16. We will get there in a few minutes. And uh, John chapter 16 um, is where we'll be today. And if we had to sum up today in just one sentence, uh, today would be, even though the world has left Jesus alone, meaning that Jesus is not a part of our world anymore, if the world has left Jesus alone, He's with us, and He's overcome the world. And that's where we're headed today, that even though the world has pushed Jesus aside for the most part, He is with us, and He's overcome the world. So currently, and today... Today's going to be a little, I don't, not academic, because that really doesn't fit me necessarily, but it's more um, a gauge on what our world is like. And the idea is to get you to start thinking, well, this is how people are thinking outside of the world uh, that, of, that we live in necessarily, but, and how we can affect people with the gospel, how our relationship with Jesus Christ transitions, transposes, and permeates our lives so that we can affect as many people as possible. So today, um, that's, that's what today is kind of going to be. So bear with me a little bit, um, and let's just, this is a lot of information, and then uh, we will talk a little bit more about what Jesus said as well. Currently, we live in what would be called a post-Christian culture, post-Christian culture. So just kind of start to think about what does that mean to you? Post-Christian culture. We're going to try and break that down to help us understand. The word post, you know, what, what does the word post mean? Uh, as a prefix, it means the word after, right? Uh, I think that we probably could all settle on that, not like a fence post or a goal post, but the prefix post, like post-game interview. We hear that in sports all the time. It's an interview that happens when? After the game. And so, uh, post refers to being after, and simply just, uh, I think that we all grab that one. But what about Christian? What does Christian mean? Because I think that we could go around the room, and however many people are here, we would get a little different answer, right? They, I think all the principles would probably relate around the same things. But what that means to all of us probably will be stated in a different way. So the most broad definition I could find that I uh, liked was one who professes belief in the teachings of Jesus Christ. Um, we, we call it a follower in this, in this context. But one who professes belief in the teachings of Jesus Christ. And there are other concepts that are related to the word Christian and what that looks like. But um, this is a primary definition, like I said, very broad. And again, I think that we could all settle on that, shake our head, yes, that, that's what Christian means to me. You might say, well, it also means A, B, and C, but I think we're there. And if we live in a post-Christian culture, what, is, what would that say? That would say that we live in a world that is after people that profess belief in Jesus. And we're talking about as a whole, because I profess belief in Jesus, and I'm living right now. But post-Christian means that as a whole in our world, and we'll define that in just a minute too, as a whole in our world, we're living after a time when belief in Jesus 
is accepted, belief in Jesus is honored, and belief in Jesus is something that people um, follow. So the phrase implies that this idea of Christianity that has existed for centuries uh, is in the past and that we're after that time. And while you think on that for just a minute, we're going to unpack just a few more things. We live in this post-Christian culture. It would imply that we once experienced a Christian culture, right? That if there's a post-Christian, there was a Christian culture at one point. And that's true. We have, we've also experienced more of a non-Christian uh, time as well, and we'll get to those things. But, and this would be accurate in that we actually uh, can go a little more in-depth. For the record, uh, let's just focus our timeline of culture to the United States, just the, the world that we live in, the U.S., and uh, you know, back to the beginning of the United States, the Revolution, the American Revolution. Obviously, people uh, were here on this content for, for continent for centuries before that, um, but just for the sake of common starting points and uh, an idea of where we're at, we're going to launch this conversation from 1776. Sound good? All right, here we go. And we're, we're talking about the United States for the, the biggest reason is because we live here. <laughs> if we didn't live here, we would, expound, we would expand our boundaries a little bit, but it's the most relevant to us. It's what we know about the most, right? We know about our culture and how we live, we, specifically in Emporia, but just in the United States. We, we're more in tune to how people live in, in this country. And so it's easily and familiar to us. So in 1776, our founding fathers declared independence from England and the rule of King George. And I'm not going to go into all that. You guys have seen Hamilton, I'm sure. And you can take care of that very historically sound. And our nation was founded amidst a, a, cult, a Christian culture, meaning that the majority of people were ones that professed belief in the teachings of Jesus Christ. Think about 200 and some years ago. And I think um, knowing what we know about the history in the United States, we can all agree that that's probably pretty true, that the majority of people believed in the teachings of Jesus Christ, the writings of our founders. They revolved around a reliance on God, right? God shows up in all of our first documents in the United States. And the attitude of people that led to, uh, the, the, the attitude of the people that led the, to the idea of a sovereign country also revolved around a sovereign God. And that's the principles and the foundation that we had here in the United States. And our country was launched in the middle of a Christian culture. And this Christian culture was a dominating way of life. For the most part, again, no one ever kind of falls in line with what's going on 100%, right? But for the most part, about 175, 180 years of Christian culture in this country. And around the beginning of the 1950s or so, um, a shift in the Christian culture began to be made, and it began to change. And there are a lot of things that contribute to that. Um, and if you were alive at that time, you could probably speak to that more than I could. But just a few reasons why. In the 25 years leading up to the, the decade of the 50s, we had two world wars. 1.3 million people died for this country. And um, because of that, it, it, it tainted the way that people looked at God. 
Some of it, 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 some people it grew closer. But for the most part, that was, a, that was a huge impact. We had the Great Depression that wrecked people's lives. We, uh, the, their, their whole economic status for sure, but it, it, it destroyed homes and people took their lives and it changed the way that people looked at God. And eventually, and none of this ever happens like this, right? Culture does not change. It, we, we can wake up tomorrow and cultures change like that. It's not the way it works, right? It's a gradual effect. Sometimes it can take years to change. Sometimes it's a little more accelerated, but um, people as a whole in that time began to waver around the 50s. And from there, the country became, uh, began to transition from a, a Christian culture to non-Christian. Non-Christian, which non as a prefix, um, it means not, right? It means not. So not Christian. Or even better, um, one of the alternate definitions was unimportant. And, and we begin to transition to this time when it was unimportant to people to be a Christian, to follow the teachings of Jesus Christ. It was unimportant to be a Jesus follower. And in our context, um, the, Christian, the non-Christian culture, it begins for the first time, um, it, people would begin to express uh, there being another option other than Christianity, Right? Um, now, for this, centuries, you know, this, this was an option for centuries, okay? Not everybody leading up to 1776 and today have been Christian, and there's always been other options, but for the most part, there, there have been, um, it was predominantly Christian. And then the onset of this non-Christian culture, people began to show their faith in a different way. They, they began to vote with their feet, if you will. They, they stopped coming and being engaged in church. And think about it, um, not, even, not even in the 50s, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s. When I was growing up, the, the question was not, hey, do you go to church? It was what? Where do you go to church, right? It was just implied. You go to church. You, you have some kind of a faith that you follow. It was just the, that was part of it. And so we've transitioned from that not being important anymore. And for the decades following, um, all the way from the 50s, really, until uh, around the turn of the century, we've evolved into this non-Christian culture where belief in Jesus just became unimportant. Priorities changed, and, the follow and following Jesus became something that was secondary in a lot of people's lives. And the fallout of that was what? Well, Jesus... Uh, the word Jesus, the ideas, the teachings of Jesus, God in general, it began to diminish in public. In 1962, Madeline Murray O'Hare starts the, the wave of uh, excluding prayer in schools. And it, that just a domino effect of, of God eventually being pushed out of everything public, it seemed like. And people began to speak out against Christianity, like, hey, there's other options and we're tired of, you know, they, they spoke out. Church involvement, just meaning a, a membership and engagement as a whole, declined because it just wasn't important anymore. We could, we could sleep in on Sundays. We could go places. We could do things. And in all fairness, we've experienced some overlap, right, in this, in this Christian to non-Christian and now post-Christian culture. Because I know that, I know that there's Christian culture. We're an example of that today. I get that. But for the most part, 
um, we are living in a time when belief in Jesus is now an afterthought. It's post-Christian. And in the transition from non-Christian to post-Christian, we are introduced to this massive increase of a particular type of person. And research, uh, they, researchers have begun to, they develop their own category. They're called the nuns. They're called the nuns. Not the nuns you're probably thinking about with the, the, the habit and the sound of music and the hills are alive. Not that kind of nun, okay? But the nuns are those that they, have, they don't believe in any god. They're none, right? They, not just our god, not just the god of the universe, the god created the universe and watches over and is with us and sent his only son on the cross to die on a cross for us, not just the God that we serve, but any God. They don't believe in the idea of anything like that. They're not Protestant. They're not Catholic. They're not Hindu. They're not Islamic. They're, they're just, or any other religion, right? They're, they're a nun. They're none of those things. And um, some would call them atheists, right? Atheists, a, a person that lacks belief in the existence of a God or an agnostic, a person that claims neither uh, faith or disbelief in God, they just kind of think it's just out there, right? But in 2009, we had, um, we, we've had, since 2009, we've had a massive increase in the nuns, people who don't believe in any kind of God, any kind of religion in general. To the tune of, uh, it, it, in 2009, it was um, 17% of Americans were considered none. They didn't, they didn't have any affiliation. Today, it's 26%. That's close to 80 million people, right? Excuse me, 380 million people. That's a lot. So, uh, it's 80. And then, then in, in um, reflection, the amount of Christians, the Christianity, dropped 10%. So, there's a little bit of in the middle, right? But in the, in the midst of the last 12 to 15 years, Christianity has lost nearly 40 million people to nothing or to some other kind of religion. And, and that's a, that should be, that, that, that should tell us where we are. We're in a post-Christian world, right? And the Christian culture was, it used to be a time in our world that did a few things. It acknowledged God. And it, it celebrated God. And that it included God. And in our lives, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, even in our community as a whole, I think a lot of people do these three things. That they are still holding on to a Christian culture. That belief in the teachings of Jesus and the way that we follow Him, the relationships that we have in Him, are something to be uh, acknowledged and celebrated and included in our lives. But we've transitioned to a time now when God is ignored, and God is deprioritized, and God has been erased from society. And when we look at um, the change in our world, let's just say since 2000, right, the last 21 years and two months, nothing has been changed more than the view of God in our culture. Would you agree? In no time in history, uh, more than now, has the world tried to mute the voice of God from being um, 
put out there, you know, or even the fact that there's any kind of a God in general, right? Now, we're going to turn the story a little bit because that's kind of doom and gloom, right? Sorry, kind of a downer. Does not mean that God is not present. It does not mean that God is not. It does not mean that Christianity or following Jesus as a lifestyle is extinct. How do I know that? Because in places that look a lot like this, all over the state of Kansas, all over the country, millions and millions of people are gathering and joining together to worship the name of Jesus and to magnify the almighty God whose image that we're created in. So it's not extinct. The, the beginning, the, the non-Christian, post-Christian uh, ideas that I just shared, those are to get you to understand that the world in front of us is nothing like the world behind us. And the things that we do, the relationship that we have with God has got to continue to increase and continue to grow or we will become part of the statistic. It does not mean that life in this world is going to be easy, right? Jesus tells us that. We're in uncharted territory. That's the idea. And Jesus was well aware that the world was going to leave him alone. He was well aware of it. And he knew that a life, uh, that life for us, life for his disciples, the early church, it was not going to be easy, right? In the, in the Gospel of John, Jesus is narrating his time before being arrested and crucified, okay? And he, de- he decides to unload this, this massive amount of information on his disciples. He, uh, he decides, it's kind of like what you would do when the babysitter comes over and you're feeling a little rushed and you say, you got to tell them everything they got to do in 10 minutes or five minutes or three minutes so you can get out the door and go do what you're going to do. And you're, you're like, okay, you got to do this, you got to feed, you got to have them ready for bed. And there's so much you got to get off your chest before you go and you can and do what you're supposed to do next. Well, that's kind of what Jesus is doing for the disciples. And for three or four chapters in the, in the book of John, if you read through it, there's a lot of red. And red in our Bible signifies words that Jesus says, right? And, and so there's a ton of red. Jesus unloading on his disciples so much stuff. So they're at the Passover feast. We know it is the Last Supper in the upper room. And Jesus gathers with his disciples, and they have this um, interaction. They're doing, they're doing well, and then he has, Jesus has a little conversation with, with Judas that looks, looks kind of awkward, and then Judas leaves. And everybody's looking around like, where is he going? And so a little later, Jesus breaks the bread, and he pours the cup, much like we'll do here in just a few moments. And he, he talks about remembering him. And doing these things to remember what he's done for us. And then he shares about what's the most important thing that you can do. And that's to love one another. And he, keeps conti- he just continues to unload this information. They get up and leave. All right, They take off. They, they've had their, their meal and they're walking around. They're headed to the Garden of Gethsemane. Which is a place that they would have gone repeatedly. To separate themselves. It was a quiet place to pray And as they walk, Jesus continues to talk. And at the end of this talk, the disciples, they begin to get the understanding that something's going down. And Jesus is kind of, he's acting a little weird and talking in ways that we don't quite understand, but we kind of get it. 
it looks like things are, are, are going to have a turn here. And in this passage, Jesus tells them, listen, guys, you're going to leave me alone. In, uh, in John 16, uh, verse 32, Jesus tells them, a time is coming, and in fact, a time has come that you will be scattered, each of you to your own home. You will leave me alone, yet I'm not alone, for my Father is with me. Which is significant, because in 12 hours, even his Father was going to leave him alone and turn his back on all our sins that Jesus was dying for. And Jesus is letting them know that soon, very soon, like maybe within minutes, their faith is going to be challenged, that the world that they live in is getting ready to get turned upside down, and that he, the Son of God, would be left all alone, all alone to face the soldiers, all alone to face the Sanhedrin, and all alone to face Pilate and the crowd, and all alone to face the cross. And going back to last week's thoughts, Jesus was prepared. He knew what was going to go on, and he did it anyway. But he knew that the world was going to leave him alone and by himself. But he encourages the disciples in John 16, 33. I've told you these things, so I've told you, listen, a time's coming. You're going to get scattered. Something big is coming. I've told you these things so that you may, ha- that you may have peace. And in the world, you will have trouble. But take heart, because I've overcome the world. Amen? In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, because I've overcome the world. And even though people will leave him alone, and even though people will choose not to follow him, and even though people will eventually, like in today's world, will try and delete his name from existence, the world, he has overcome this world. And people today, we're, they're walking away from Jesus in rapid numbers, aren't they? There's so many more options. There's so much other stuff that is just very temporary right here in our face that we're choosing to do. And uh, quite possibly, people that you know and love have walked away from the faith. Or they, they have chosen not to follow at all. People that you work with, right? People, maybe your neighbors, the interactions that you have tell you that they're lost and they have a completely different idea of what God is in their lives. And they walk away for a multitude of reasons, okay? It's, not, it's never just one thing, okay? Sometimes it's just faith in Jesus is hard. It's really hard. And they don't wish to push forward. They just, they're going to give up. Because their, their faith isn't strong enough at that point. Sometimes they have a, a life experience that, that makes them doubt everything that they know about God. Right? A lot of that has to do with a tragic accident or something that's a huge part of life that's just taken away immediately. And people, they get mad at God. And, and they blame God for those things. And um, sometimes it's people that claim to be Jesus followers. People who claim to be Christians who follow Jesus but then fail them miserably. And it happens all the time. People that are in a position like mine who are pastors, who fail people constantly by the words that they say or the things that they do. And it destroys their outlook of what Jesus is in their lives. 
and they can't get past all that hurt, the, hypocr- the hypocrisy and, and the backstabbing, the lying, and, and the falseness, the, the fake that's going on in, other, in Christians' lives and how that affects them. So I tell you all that to tell you this. Now, we've transitioned from this Christian culture that we once lived in where we, our, our, our country embraced God and followed Jesus, and now to a non-Christian time when they chose other options and just to exclude God from their lives in every way, into a post-Christian culture that's attempted to delete God from society and out of the picture completely. And yes, the post-Christian culture is full of people that consider belief in God just an afterthought. And people that do not believe in any God are becoming more and more common aren't they? And people are, well, they're walking away from faith, and the world is leaving Jesus alone, by himself. But Jesus knew this was coming, didn't he? And he tells the disciples, I've told you these things so that you, that in me, you may have my peace. And today, that's what we can rest in. That even though we're surrounded, even though we're sitting at the table that's prepared in the presence of our enemy, that he is with us and that we can have his peace. And he tells his disciples, listen, boys, life's going to get hard. He tells you and me, Christians, the world's going to change every fiber. It's going to challenge every fiber of your faith daily. But you can have the peace that, that passes all understanding. You can have my peace that, and know that I am in control because I have overcome the world. And because of this, regardless of that the world's gradually trying to rid itself of God, regardless that more and more people are choosing to believe that God even exists, He's with us. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. And we are, the the Jesus followers, we've been charged with making sure that the name of Jesus is always being shared. So that if I was the last Christian on earth, that it would be impossible for the name of Jesus to be erased completely. And we don't want to be the reason that someone turns away from God just because of the way that we treat them, right? We don't, want, we, want to, we don't want to be a church full of seekers that calls themselves seekers, but then um, what we act like what Luke says in the book of Acts, that we make it difficult for those that are coming to God. Meaning, we don't ask people to get their lives together before they come to church and be a part and, and, and want to be a follower. Instead, we walk through those rough times, and we sit down in the gunk, in the garbage, and we pull them up. We put their arm around them, we walk through them, and if we have to, we carry them. That's the idea. All in the name of Jesus, who they're trying to neglect and trying to leave alone. And we accept them for who they are, because who are they? They're a child of God, made in His image. A person in need of grace, right? Just like me. I need grace. That Jesus died on the cross for me just like he did for whatever other sin, sinner that's around, okay? We can all claim that. We all are in need of the same grace. So here's what we're up against in this post-Christian culture. Our kids, 
okay? Without a faith influence in their life, they will fill it with something else, won't they? And our kids will have no foundation of the Bible unless we introduce it to them. Now, when I was a kid, it was easy. I grew up in the 80s, and we had the flannel graph, and we had all the stories and, the tea, and all the little crafts that we did in Sunday school. It was, the, it was the same. And everybody went because it wasn't, hey, where do you, do you go? It's where do you go to church? And so common knowledge was people knew the story of the feeding of the 5,000 and, and Moses uh, um, and the Red Sea and all the things that take place in Scripture. Our kids are slowly losing that because they don't have that influence in their lives. That's why we do a kids' ministry here. That's why Miss Emily is up there teaching them about all these stories. They're not just stories, but how to apply them to our lives. So they have a foundation for their faith because it's going to get challenged probably tomorrow, right? And so our kids have to have that foundation. And yeah, the the stories are cool, and that's what draws them in. But the Holy Spirit continues to work in their lives. And when the world gets a hold of them, they'll have an uphill battle if they don't have the foundation of faith that they need. What about our teens, our youth? Growing up in a YouTube, Snapchat, electronic fake reality uh, lifestyle that centers around temptation at every corner. It's in their pockets, nonstop. And, And without a faith influence in their lives... They're left to seek for it in other places, aren't they? And it's readily available. And this is, this is the most impressionable time of their lives, their teenage years. And our teens need to find what their faith means to them, what God means to them, and to place their faith in Him and watch Him change their lives and to, and to mess up because they're going to mess up, right? Amen? Have you ever been a teenager? Okay, you remember it. So they're going to mess up, and how God's going to use that to affect their lives, and how we treat them in, in, in return that doesn't blow them up and send them away, but rather draws them closer to what God wants for them. And so our teens, they need to find what faith means to them, and more importantly, who that faith is in. And it's a not easy It's not easy. In a post-Christian culture, it's difficult to find the right path with so much other stuff pulling at them in every different direction, isn't it? How about adults? Everyone who's 21 years and older, okay? We weren't going to break that down. Our faith has taken some hits, hasn't it? And we have the scars to show for it, either mentally, emotionally, spiritually, or physically. Your faith has been challenged by the life that you've experienced out there, wherever out there is. And your family might be going in every different direction because of all that's gone on in your life. Maybe you're responsible. And maybe you might have even walked away from faith because of the life that you've gone through. And now you're back, and that's great. And, and maybe you're right there. And you just need to kind of lean into it a little bit and say, this is, this is what I know God to be in my life, and this is what I want it to be for the rest of my life. So we got to remember 
to share about Jesus and what he did by dying for us on the cross. And we got to remember that Jesus asked us to do more, uh, uh, that he asked us to do more than anything else, what he asked us to do more than anything else, and that's to love like him. Not fake love, not the, you know, kissy smoochy kind of love, but rather to love as I have loved you. You should love one another. Why? This is how people are going to know that you follow me. That's how people will know that you're a Jesus follower, because of the way that you love them. And we've been charged with making sure the world, our family, all those that we come in contact with, know that Jesus loves them and, then, and what he did for them. This is the world we live in, and it's ever-changing. It's uncharted territory. And if we look at it in the wrong way, we're going to get sucked down just like they are. But if we look at it in the right way, in the way that when Jesus says, in this life you will face troubles, you will face getting fired, you will face getting laid off, you will, get, you will face a, a kid who's astray, you will face a divorce, you will face poverty, you will face whatever, that in this world you will find trouble. But take heart, because I've overcome the world. And that's a prayer, and uh, that's our prayer today, right? That, that G- the name of Jesus is shared with everyone that we encounter. And, uh, you know, another way that we can, um, that we can uh, remember what Jesus means to us 